Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good, good, good. That's not bad. It's better than last week. Anybody want another try? Good morning. There we go. I knew you guys could do it. Peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Oh, you heard me. Peanut butter, perfect. Oh, come on. Peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Here's a picture of a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> There's a lot of feedback from you guys. That apparently, this is a good thing. I don't know. So my daughter, Eloise, she just turned eight yesterday. She comes up to me a couple of weeks ago. Amanda had a girl's night out, so she was not there. And Eloise comes up to me and says, Dad, I would like for dinner a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. And I was like, say what? You want, wait, like a peanut butter sandwich with pickles on the side? Oh, no. Oh, no. A peanut butter sandwich with pickles on it. Now, my first reaction was, um, gross, but um, are you sure that's really what you want? You want a peanut butter and pickle sandwich? And she said, yeah, dad, listen, I promise I'll eat all of it. So, so, okay. So I sliced up some dill pickles and I put it on a sandwich and boy, she ate every single bite. Now, it doesn't make it any less weird though. Like for all of you that responded, they were like, oh, this is so good. Like I'm just being honest, you're weird. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but it's just weird. Amen. Yeah, I got an amen for that one, didn't I? Now, I have been a Christ follower for a long time. But if I try to imagine myself as someone who wasn't, I would think that prayer is kind of like a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Like, looking at it from the outside, looking in, I think my perspective would be like, what? That's really weird. I have no idea what you're doing. I don't understand a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. And I think if I were a non-Christ follower looking in at the church, I would say the same thing. Like, why is it that you're praying? You're saying this random stuff and, and like, I don't get why. Like for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, many of us say grace at a meal. Does anybody else do that? Say grace. What is grace? Right? Some of us, I think, view prayer like a vending machine, right? So here's a picture of a vending machine. I got lots of pictures today. Right? And I don't know about you, but like in middle school, like the big scuttlebutt, like the big thing was like, hey, if you press just the right combination of things, like it'll accidentally spit out a Butterfinger for you or whatever. Right? Anybody else know that, that, that trick? You can tell me later if you know what it is. But I think sometimes we think of prayer like that. You know, the outside world, they say, well, if you say the right words and you put it in the right combination, maybe something will, you know, spit out for you. Prayer is kind of this strange thing in some ways. And I think that people, when they look in at prayer, they say, what in the world is that? What's going on? And for us as Christ followers, of course, prayer is a really important part of our walk with Christ. It's an important part of our daily lives for those of us that are followers of Jesus. But there may be some of you in the room today that are like, I still don't get it. 
And so I think it's really important that for us, we have a good understanding of why it is that we pray. And today, James is going to lead us into a passage that deals with not only the how, like under what circumstances should you pray, but then also, why should you pray? Is there actually a reason behind it, or is it just a bunch of fluff, right? So today, we're landing our sermon series. Terry mentioned this earlier, called Faith That Works. We've been in the book of James for 13 weeks, and I don't know about you if you have been here with us, but it has shredded me. The book of James is a challenging book. Now, if you have not been here, I want to encourage you, if you're interested, hey, what shreds the guy that's on stage? Like, you can go back on our website, and you can listen to all of the sermons in this series, or you can watch most of them. If you go to gatewaychurchmn.com and find our sermons page. But this has been a tough series for me, man. It has not been easy. It's been in your face. James has, like, not gone soft. Not for one moment. And I think him ending his letter, ending this book in prayer, ending it in an exhortation, an encouragement for us to be prayerful people is a really good place for us to end. And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one from a purple chair around you. If you don't have a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible that you understand, right? If you have a Bible that's got old language in it, and you're not really sure what that's all about, you can take that Bible with you. You can make it your own. You can write in it. Do whatever you want to with it. Also, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with me on the screens behind me. We're in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them pray. Or excuse me, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So again, today's topic, what we're unpacking is this idea of prayer. Now, prayer as a whole could be an entire sermon series. It's a very important part of our followership of Jesus Christ. It's an important walk, uh, daily discipline as we're walking through life. But it's also somewhat complex in its nature. There's a lot of different ways that you can pray and how you pray and how you hear from God. There's a lot of complex nature to it. But for today, given our our time requirement and the fact that you probably want to eat lunch, although please don't eat a peanut butter pickle sandwich, just throwing that back out there. We're going to suffice it to say uh, that what prayer is at its root level, at its base level, is about our communication with God. It's about our connection to God. Us as broken, human, mortal beings connecting with an eternal, transcendent, completely separated God. You see, God is the most relational being that's ever existed. You see what you know what I mean by that? Like he is the most relationship oriented being that has ever existed. And even prior to the creation, even prior to you and I being a part of this world, God still existed in relationship. So we serve and we know and we chase after a single God. Christianity is what's called monotheistic. That means that there's only one God. However, God exists in distinct persons. We call that the Trinity. We have God the Father. We have God the Son, who is also known as Jesus Christ. 
And then we have God, the Holy Spirit. And from eternity past, before anything ever was created, God existed in these three persons in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship. So as much as you and I might think that we're a necessary part of the equation, we were never necessary. We were never filling a need in God. Because the Father poured into the Son and the Spirit. The Son poured into the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit poured into the Father and the Son. He has always existed in perfect relationship. Now when he created us, he created us for the purpose of being in relationship with him. So back in the, in the Garden of Eden, that's the very initiation of all creation. God made two individuals, Adam and Eve. He puts them in this garden. And in a very real way, they were walking and talking with God. They were experiencing God in what's called an empirical way. So what empirical means is, is you experience God with your five senses. They could see him. They could hear him. They could touch him. Now that was all great until Adam and Eve decided to do their own thing. And then brokenness entered the equation. God being perfect, being whole, exactly in himself, needing nothing else other than himself, could not be around sin and brokenness, and therefore a chasm was created between mankind and God. But God didn't give up on us at that point. God gave us at this point the gift of prayer. The opportunity for us to talk to God, to present ourselves to him, to thank him, to say, God, man, you're really awesome. Also to, <clears throat> excuse me, to ask things of God. Say, Lord, make me the kind of person you want to be. But then also, in the context of prayer, we hear from God as well. God impresses himself on us. And so in a very real way, that initiation of creation, that very first component of communication with God, when we pray, we go back to, in a sense, that intimacy that we had with God in the beginning. I love this quote from Friar Roger Landry. He says this, we are never more human than when we pray. We are never more human, more closely aligned to our original design than when we pray. And so prayer is getting back to the beginning. It's getting back to the basics. Communicating with the very one that we were designed to be in relationship with. Now with this is sort of our framework, a very simple, very short definition of what prayer is. Let's look back at the text to see what James has for us. Again, rereading starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So what James is communicating to his audience and ultimately to us is that in every single circumstance, we should pray. So if things are hard, if you're in trouble... The response should be to pray. If you're happy, if things are going really well, our first response should be pray. It should be praise, which is a form of prayer. If you're sick, then our response should be to pray. There's never a circumstance in which prayer is not the appropriate and correct first action. 
So let's continue and look at this a little bit more closely. So if it's a normal day, most of our days are what I would consider to be normal days, what should we do? Pray. Things are going well, what should we do? Pray. If you land that big sale at work, what should you do? Pray. Right? If you lose your job, what should you do? Pray. If you get sick, what should you do? Pray. If you've got that hidden sin in your life, that sin that if somebody finds you out, you feel like might be the end for you, what should you do? Pray. There is never a circumstance where prayer isn't the appropriate first response. Now, I don't know about you, but prayer is not usually my first response. Right? I'm the kind of guy that wants to fix it. Like, I see a problem, and I want to just get my hands in there, and I just want to work it until it gets fixed. Right? There's a relationship that I got a problem with. I mean, I want to dig in. I want to, ooh, let's have a conversation. What's going on? Can we figure out a creative way to get beyond this? You know, can I suck up to the right person? What do I have to say? What do I have to do in order to fix it? I've had a lot of coffee this morning. I don't know if you guys could tell. (laughs) Amen, right. Even in the context of when things are going well, prayer is not my first response, right? I like to soak in the goodness of the moment. You know what I mean by that? Like things are going well. I just kind of want to be as if, as if, I had anything to really do with the fact that my circumstances are going well. But yet I want to just kind of exist, kind of just sit and enjoy the moment rather than pray. But you see what James is saying is that our right response always should be prayer. It shouldn't be trying to fix it first. It shouldn't be seeking a second opinion first. It shouldn't be enjoying ourselves first. It should be prayer. So now the natural next question, now that we understand what our response should be, is why? Excuse me. Is why? Why is it that we pray? What's in it for me? Are you telling me that God's just needy? Does he just need me to, like, love on him or something? Why is it that we pray? And I think answering the question of why is really important. And I'm going to kind of sidetrack for just a second here. As followers of Christ, we live in a world that does not naturally follow God. You track with what I'm saying? Like, we live in an existence in a time where the church, where God, where God's way, God's pathway forward is not prominent. It's not the first thing. And the thing is, is when we're existing, when we're living, when we're communicating with people, I think it's so important that we understand why we do certain things. It's not enough just to say, because I said so. Right? I hated that as a kid. It's not enough. And so for us, I think it's important that we understand why is it that we pray. And James is going to fill us in, starting in verses 15 and 16. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the reason that James is saying that we pray is because it does something. It actually does something when we pray. It accomplishes a work, presumably, based on the text, a work that would not have been accomplished had we chosen not to pray. You follow me? So the reason in which we pray is that it is effective, that it accomplishes a work. Let's dig in and unpack verse 15 a little bit more specifically. In verse 15, there's three kind of basic things that James says that prayer does. The prayer in faith will heal someone. The Lord will raise them up when we pray for someone. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So in a very real way, our prayers move the hand of God to action. And again, and this is crazy to think about, in a way that God's hand might not have moved if we hadn't prayed. I love this quote from Chuck Smith. Nice last name. He says this. He says, prayer does not change the purpose of God, but prayer does change the action of God. When we pray, it works. It does something. It makes a difference in the world around us. So I have a friend who's a pastor of a church in Ohio, and his name is Myron Baum. Now, I met Myron several years ago at a conference, and he told me this really interesting story that when he was uh, at one point preaching on a Sunday morning, he was in tremendous pain. I believe it was back pain that he said he was experiencing. So he, he mentioned it in his sermon. It was almost crushing pain. And after the service, a group of people came around him and started to pray for him. And he recounts this very odd experience that from the heels of his feet going up his body, he started to feel a sensation of warmth, right? And as he went on, that sensation continued to grow until he was piping hot, uncomfortable in his heat. And as quickly as it started, it ran all the way through his body and left... And he was completely pain-free. That's the kind of power that prayer has. Presumably, if these men and women had not prayed around him, nothing would have happened. Now, I want to be careful here. This doesn't mean that every single time you're hurting, that when you pray, it's going to end up exactly the way that you want it to. That's not necessarily what the text is all about. But God moves when we pray. In verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins so that you may be healed. I think one of the most prominent strongholds in our lives that sin, that brokenness has is isolation. Right? It's this false belief that, you know, if we just like hold it in, then it's all going to be okay. That it's just somehow going to go away. Right? When in reality, when we soak in our brokenness, when sin just festers in us, it never goes away. It only grows. 
But heaven forbid I tell somebody, you know, I get ostracized, I get kicked out of my family, I don't know where I'd end up, but they probably wouldn't have Netflix. But that's not what James is saying. James is saying that when we confess our sins to each other, to other like-minded followers of Jesus, that he heals us. There's this really great story in the Old Testament of a man named David. And David was the king of Israel for a time. And David was, was known as a man that, that really chased after God. He was a man after God's heart. He was the kind of person that you'd look at and you'd be like, wow, that's, that's a hero of the faith. But David had some really, really dark sin in his life. Some really dark sin. You see, at one point in his life, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And after he did that, he murdered her husband. In the book of 1 Samuel, there's a recounting of his sin coming to light. And we're going to listen to it really briefly. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You have He said to David at the end, You are that man. You are the man. You have sinned, and now it is public, and now it is open. You have been outed, David. And what ensued was David's repentance, David's confession of sin. And if you would like to read that, you can read his honest and broken confession in the book of Psalms, chapter 51. But then what happened wasn't that David was ostracized, wasn't that he was kicked out, but rather that he was healed. He was restored and continued to be used by God. When we confess our sins, when we pray for each other, we are healed. Verse 16 ends with James saying that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I like this idea of a righteous person. Let's unpack what that means a little bit. So the idea of a righteous person is someone that is close to God, that is ever growing closer to God over time. And when we're close to God, what happens is that our prayers begin to mirror his priorities. You catch what I'm saying? So as you become more in tune with God, he changes us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we become more like Jesus, our prayers then, instead of saying, God, would you grant me success, turn to, God, would you grant me the opportunity to love others the way that you love? God, would you protect my family because, God, would you help me to grow 
your family. And as our priorities begin to shift, God then answers our prayers because our prayers are in line with his design, with the direction that he's choosing to go. So our heart posture should be one of saying, yes, Lord, whatever it is that is your plan, I want to be a part of it. And I want to see your priorities happen in the world. Now, this is an important part of the message right here. You might be sitting there saying, okay, I get you, Jeff. I I follow you. I agree generally. But some of you might be saying, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're telling me that God answers prayer? Yeah, right. Where was God when my spouse was sick? Where was God in my miscarriage? Where was God when my baby was born and they didn't get better? How can you stand on that stage and tell me that God hears prayer? He has never come through for me. Some of you may be in that boat right now. Where you've been praying and you've been wanting God to do something and he hasn't seemed to do it. Look, I don't know why God does what he does. To be really honest... I had a lot of anxiety about this sermon earlier this week because of this issue. Because as a pastor, I have prayed for thousands of people and very few, very few are answered the way that I would want them to be answered. But it doesn't mean that God is not working. Just because it's not the way I want doesn't mean that God's not working. I've experienced this very directly in my own life. When I was eight years old, the day after my birthday, my mother passed away. And for years she had been sick. And there were dozens and dozens of people that were praying, God, please heal her. Please heal her. And even as a seven-year-old kid, that was my prayer too. But God didn't do what I wanted. He didn't heal my mom in her body the way I wanted her to. But I'm standing here today because God chose not to heal my mom the way in which I wanted her her to be healed. You see, a few years after the death of my mother, my dad remarried a wonderful woman named Helen. And it was through, it was through Helen, through the youth group at the church that she attended, that God started to call me into ministry. And it was because of her love and support 
along with my dad's, that I pursued ministry, that I'm standing here right now. So yeah, I didn't want her to pass away. I wanted her to be healed the way I wanted. But God had a bigger plan. So yeah, you might be sitting there and you might be like, yeah, right, Jeff. But I can tell you that God works, that God heals. It might not be the way you want it, but he does it. So what do we do? What do we do now? Knowing that God works, knowing that God heals, we understand this. Now, what do we actually do to live in the light of this? Well, there's a few things that I think that we need to do in order to really fully understand God, fully see his working. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to actually engage in prayer. Now, I feel like that kind of goes without saying, right? But we need to actually engage in the discipline of prayer. Now, for some of us, we followed God for a long time. Maybe since we were kids. Maybe more recently, but we've got a, a strong faith, a strong desire to love God, to follow him. Maybe for some of us, it's really second nature. You know what I mean? Like, like you wake up in the morning and, and you pray for a couple hours. Wow, if you do that, that's awesome. I do not. Maybe you pray frequently with your spouse. You know, maybe it's just part of your rhythm is prayer. But for some of us, prayer is kind of intimidating. Or maybe we're just not used to it. Or maybe, maybe this is the first time where we're like, okay, all right, Jeff, I'll try it again. Right? So what does that look like? How can we pray? Well, there's a method that I really, really like called the thank-ask method. Don't say that too fast. The thanks-ask method. And it goes a little something like this. Basically what you do is you start by saying thanks to God for something. Hey God, thanks for my family. Hey God, thanks for waking me up this morning. Thanks for this meal. Thanks for my friends. Thanks for that really pretty tree that you allowed me to see. Thanks for the snowfall. <sighs> thanks for the snowfall. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the snowfall. And then from there, that catapults us into an ask. Right? Thank you, Lord, for my family. I ask, Lord, that they might all love you. Thank you, Lord, for that tree that you allowed me to see, the beauty in that tree. Please help me to always see you. The thanks paired with the ask. And look, it can happen super easily. Like, it doesn't take a lot of time. You'd be like, hey, Lord. Thank you for that chair that holds someone's rear end off the floor. I pray that it would continue to work. All right, now you're done. Right? Nice and easy. It's something that you can incorporate in really simply, really easily, the thanks-ask method. In addition to this, not only do we need to engage in prayer, but we need to engage in prayer constantly. Right? That's the second thing that I think we need to do. It's not just enough to pray once in a while. It's more important that we're praying constantly. Now, I, I don't want to imagine that that's easy. 
because it's really not. We live in a really busy, really distracted culture. We live in a very, like, literal culture, too. So, like, some of you are sitting here thinking, like, how am I supposed to pray all the time? I mean, I'm going to be really distracted when I'm at work. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, what does it look like for your life to be saturated in prayer? One thing that I've started doing is I've got a little notebook. I've got one of those composition notebooks. You guys ever seen those? I was going to bring it out here, but I left it in my office, right? And so it was like $2, right? So it's not, it's not expensive. So what I do is I leave it on my desk. And every time I just need a little mental break, I'm sitting at my computer, I literally turn to the side, and it's already open, and I just write my prayer. Little prayers. God, thank you. Lord, keep me focused because I'm getting kind of distracted. Lord, help me to, to, you know, pray for this person or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, but it's more about the discipline. So that could be something you could do. Grab your little notebook, leave it on your desk, leave it to the side. And when you have a moment, when you need a little break, you just switch right over, open it right up, and write down a prayer. Another thing you could do... <coughs> And set alarms on your phone. Most of us in the room have smartphones, right? You just set an alarm every hour, every couple hours, something like that. That just reminds you, hey, say a quick prayer. And then you engage the thanks and ask thing. Oh, Lord, thank you for, for, for reminding me to pray to you. I pray that you would continue to remind me to pray for you. Right? Having someone hold you accountable is another great tool to keep you constantly in prayer. Somebody that says, hey, Jeff, how are you doing with this? Are you, still, are you still praying constantly? Hey, Sally, are you still praying constantly? Hey, Phil, are you still praying constantly? What does that look like? Another one, this is something I'd love to figure out how to do, but I'd love to figure out how to tie praying to emotional triggers in my life. So somebody cuts me off on the highway, what happens? My blood pressure rises, I get a little angry, but how cool would it be if I could be like, okay, God, wait a second, Lord, thank you that I didn't get into a wreck. I pray that you would help this person to not cut people off in the future. <laughs> or maybe you could pray something a little more holy, like, Lord, maybe you, you know, save them or something. I don't know. <laughs> I am off the rails today, man. <clears throat> Or maybe something good happens. Again, you wake up in the morning and, and you see some good news on your phone. And you're like, wow, that's really amazing. Oh, that triggers me to remember, Lord, thank you that even though the world's really rotten, that there's still good stuff going on in the world, right? Tying it to emotional triggers. Maybe that's something that could work for you. But whatever that is for you, engage in prayer constantly. That's the principle. And last, but certainly not least, we need to engage in prayer expectantly. We need to engage prayer in such a way that we expect God to move because he's going to do it. Now, it might not be the way you think. It might not be the way you want. I think we've beaten that pretty well today. But God works, church. And we need to expect it. We need to come to recognize it when it happens. We need to be ready what does it look like to be ready for you? Maybe stepping back and having some intentional time to say, all right, where has God moved in my life? Take five minutes and sit back and think about it. And I bet you could consider a couple of times when God has really done something for you. Really come through. Really answer to prayer. This prayer stuff's kind of hard. 
But it, again, it's such a great way to land our series, isn't it? Such a great way that in all of the challenge, all of the, the hardship, all of the rawness provided to us in James, that it should be bathed in prayer. That prayer should be our modus operandi. That everything we do should be about that. And that's my hope for us, that we would be a praying community. A community that sees the world change around us because we're praying. Because we're praying constantly and because we're praying with expectancy. So let's do it. Let's be a community that prays. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Lord, it's hard to say this, but thank you for answering our prayers, even if it's not in the way that we want. Maybe it's not hard to pray that, Lord. You always know best. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're good, that we can trust your goodness in the context of our prayer. I pray, God, that you would challenge us, that you'd move us, that you would remind us to communicate with you, to pray, to pray constantly, and to pray with expectation that you're going to move, because you do, and I'm so grateful for that, God. Thank you for everyone who is here. Move in us. Shake us loose of our suburban distractions, Lord, so that we might see you for who you are and for what you're doing. Lord, as we transition now into communion, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us in this time as well. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.